Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, everybody. We are here with the Adventure Paths in the Impossible Lands panel, and we have got a fantastic lineup of folks to talk all things APs in the Impossible Lands. Uh, we'll start with some quick introductions, uh, and I'll start with myself. I'm moderating. Um, I am Ron Lundeen. I'm the development manager at Paizo. Uh, I'm responsible for the teams that do both the Pathfinder Adventure Paths and the Pathfinder Lost Omens books, uh, which is a lot of the lore setting, as you know. Uh, so a lot of the, the, the work into what is our world like and what are the long adventures there like uh, is, is what we get to work together to do. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Really love it. Really excited to be at PaizoCon and moderating this panel. Uh, Vanessa. Hi, I'm Vanessa Hoskins. Uh, I am guest of honor here at PaizoCon. Yay. Um, I am a longtime freelancer for Paizo and uh, worked on one of the adventure paths we're going to talk about today. And I don't know what else you want to hear, but I, I'm on a oh, I'm on a lot of shows. This is the end of a very long convention. My brain's a little fried. Um, I'm a host of No Direction podcast uh, and also one of the board members there and producer of that show. I'm also on a few actual plays, including No Direction's Adventurous and Roll for Combat Three Ring Adventure. I am uh, Patrick Greeny, senior developer at Paizo, and I uh, develop adventure paths, including. Uh, one which Vanessa wrote and we'll be talking about later today, which is Outlaws Valken Star. We're looking forward to chatting about that and sharing all sorts of uh, cool art and secrets with y'all. Hi, I'm uh, Ian Artividad. I'm a senior editor at Paizo, and I read many words, including words that were written in um, in the adventure paths we're discussing today and in the upcoming uh, Impossible Lands, too. Thank you. And uh, congrats, I haven't said it yet, uh, Ian, our congratulations on the promotion to senior editor, which is very, very recent, very well deserved. It was, thank you uh, so much. <laughs> we've got a, uh, a two adventure paths that we've been putting out, uh, um, one right now and one in the future about the, um, they're set in the impossible lands. Uh, and we'll talk about those in, in a little bit of reverse order. Let me start by talking about uh, the Bloodlords adventure path that is coming in the, uh, the back half of this year. Uh, I was the, the lead developer on that. First volume you'll see here in front of you, uh, Bloodlords number one, Zombie Feast, written by our own Mike Kimmel. Um, fantastic story. The way, the way that the whole Bloodlords adventure path is, it's set in a nation in the Impossible Lands called Geb, named after, uh, in an act of entirely characteristic hubris, uh, named after the guy who who founded and rules it still as an immortal ghost uh, named Geb. Uh, for the most part, uh, Geb is populated by undead. In a uh, great war between Geb and the neighboring kingdom Nex, uh, many of the population was was uh, blasted into undeath, and they've retained that. This is a uh, this is a really grim setting. Uh, where there are an awful lot of undead wandering the land, not as monsters to be smited, but these are the the smitten, smote. Anyway, not as monsters, Aww, but smitten. Um, <laughs> be, but as like the rulers of the place, they're the uh, the ones that are in charge. In some cases, the blood lords, the name of the adventure path itself, 
uh, refers to the group of roughly 60 or so people who help Geb rule the nation. Uh, they're the real power in Geb. And the blood lords themselves, which are mostly but not all undead and mostly but not all necromancers, uh, are, the, are really the people in charge. The whole adventure path, uh, which is six adventures long, it goes from uh, July to December of, of this year. Uh, number one in July, number six in December. It'll take your characters all the way from first to 20th level. Uh, it starts out with the characters as uh, basically useful troubleshooters who work for one of the you know, maybe lower-ranking blood lords. But as they uncover a uh, malevolent plot against the throne, against the whole nation, and have more rack up more successes, get more responsibility, accountability for what they've done, uh, eventually the, the player character is going to be put on to into the ranks of the blood lords themselves and get get the political power that this this ancient organization that rules us on undying nation has uh and so it's it's a quite a lot of intrigue this is not the adventure path where you're where your knights in shining armor are vanquishing undead foes left and right this is not the adventure path where you end up rolling initiative against the ghost king geb in order to supplant him this is the one where it's uh you're you're the helping the evil nation run uh, this is not like our Hell's, Hell's uh, Vengeance campaign of several years back. This isn't specifically a campaign for evil characters, but it is not a campaign for good aligned characters. This is the place where your, your, your evil and your neutral characters can shine. We did this hand in glove with the, uh, uh, the Pathfinder Book of the Dead, which has a lot of rules about playing undead characters. And so this is the place where if you want to play an undead character, the, then this, absolutely the adventure path for you. If you play a living character and something terrible happens, you come back as an undead, you can keep right on playing. They're undead are expected in the leadership of this realm. Uh, but we have a lot of, let me get the picture number two. Uh, the nation itself, as I said, is ruled by this ghost king Geb, uh, who is sort of, he's been racked for millennia with kind of this ennui. He does, he's sort of checked out as a ruler goes, and that's what's given the blood lords the power they have. Uh, he's coming back to a, a, a stronger position, and this this adventure path sort of goes along with the story of him doing that. And I, I got to say, I love this picture because, gosh, some days I feel like the ghost king on the throne. Uh, you know, maybe more days. I feel like the, the little halfling at the bottom of the steps, smiling and throwing the pedals, and just just happy to be there. Um, but uh, the you'll go in the course of this adventure path uh, to a lot of different places. The biggest cities, some of the smallest backwaters. Uh, just because the undead are in charge doesn't mean there aren't uh, bad ones that you're going to fight. If I can get the next picture, uh, the even though you've got uh, you're allied with the undead nation, you've got undead who are working against it. You got living people who are working against it. This is really an intrigue based adventure path, and there's a lot of the intrigue that's in uh, means that you've got uh, undead who are working against the best interests of the nation. If you want to stop them, uh, you take you go to a lot of places. As I said the biggest cities. One of the most interesting, if I can get the next picture is the uh, an area called the Field of Maidens down in the southern part of Geb. There is a whole huge nation to the south uh, that is, is protected by and run by uh, celestials, uh, you know, angels, holy creatures. 
And uh, some time ago, they managed to, one of their leaders managed to muster up an army, a pirate queen, mustered up an army of uh, warrior women to charge into the undead nation and, and, and take over. Uh, they did not succeed. Geb is an exceptionally powerful wizard, and with a single big spell, he petrified all of them in this uh, strange area known now as the Field of Maidens. Uh, the Some say these statues still move. Some say there's a mysterious figure, a mysterious Medusa that lurks among them. And people wonder whether or not the nation, that nation to the south is going to have any further designs or interests in the area or further north. Uh, you'll be looking into this if, uh, if only because the third volume of the Bloodlord's Adventure Path is called Field of Maidens uh, and is set there. Um, this is uh, Seijan in for sort of an unpleasant surprise looking at those. Uh, I did want to give you a quick rundown. Uh, we've announced this before, but the Bloodlord's Adventure Path has got uh, six adventures. As I said, it starts with Zombie Feast by Mike Kimmel. Uh, adventure two is Graveclaw by Jason Tondro. Uh, Adventure 3, Field of Maidens. Jenny Jarzowski wrote that one. Uh, it's fantastic. Number 4, The Ghoul's Hunger uh, by Leo Glass and James Jacobs. Uh, number 5, Taste of Ashes by Brian Duckwitz. Uh, and then finally, number 6, Ghost King's Rage by Jessica Catalan. A lot of really strong authors there in uh, giving a really strong story. Uh, hinge this narrative. We're really excited to be bringing this to you. Uh, anyway, I've done a ton of talking. One of the things I would like to ask about uh, uh, from Ianara, you have done some of the editorial work on the, the Impossible Lands setting. And what are some of the things that you think about the, the Geb in the area, the meta region in which Geb is set? What are some of the things about it that really excite you? Oh, gosh. I, if, if I'm like mentally stalling, it's because I'm trying not to say something I'm not supposed to say. Uh, this is the, so I mean, many. it's the last day of Paizocon. It's when people accidentally yeah. say things they're not supposed to say. That's uh, <laughs> it's expected. Yeah. Um, I'm trying very hard not to say anything uh, that I'm not supposed to. There's a lot Lots of, of secrets. I'm sorry, Ron. <laughs> please continue. No, that's okay. Like, that's okay. Yeah. I've been going through the sure. entire book, essentially. I will, uh, uh, I, I'll, then I'll, I'll, Point out another thing that I think is uh, exciting about the Bloodlord's Adventure Path that people may not yet know. Um, you won't know until uh, Zombie Feast gets into your hands. Uh, in the a lot of the intrigue that's in this campaign hinges on the fact that apart from these politicians, the the Bloodlords, politician necromancers, um, there are several great economic organizations that sort of drive everything in Geb and consistent with sort of the the, the grim grittiness of, of uh, Geb's situation, they're, they're along those same lines. These big power groups are power groups that you're going to have your characters meet representative of, and there's an influence tracking system to get your reputation with these groups. You will not be able to get, you will get some reputation with, with all six of the primary groups, uh, the great factions as they're called, uh, but there will be plenty of places where you learn some valuable information about one, that if you give it to another, well, your influence with one will go up, your reputation with the other will go down. Uh, and so a lot of the campaign is about deciding who your friends are going to be among these great factions and who your enemies are going to be among the great factions. And that really starts to uh, really starts to pivot what happens in the maybe the later half of the campaign. If you've worked your way really hard up uh, through the ranks, 
throwing yourselves uh, in favor of one or two of these great factions and really made enemies of another, well, those enemies are going to move against you. Uh, and really, it depends on the player's choices how which which of the the ones are going to be moving against you. Um, and as a quick chat, this is something that you learn really early on. It's provided in a back matter of uh, of Zombie Feast because it's a tracking that happens even as early as in the first adventure. Uh, these big factions in Geb are the Builders League. The Builders League are responsible. They're architects responsible for civil improvements, but they're also the holders of occult secrets and hidden libraries and things like that. Um, the celebrants uh, are the newest of the great factions. They used to be kind of lesser. They are. They will tell you that they are responsible for parades and celebrations of Geb's return to the limelight and so on. But they're functionally Geb's propaganda machine. Uh, they only want to be convincing people that Geb is totally right. Every other nation around them is totally wrong, uh, and and to push the propaganda of the state. Uh, the export guild covers foreign trade. They are, uh, as you might expect, critical to the economy of Geb. One of the most interesting things about Geb, I think, is that as a nation that is mostly undead, in a terrain that is grows an awful lot of food, is that they don't. A lot of their citizens don't need to eat, so they are one of the principal food exporters to a lot of regions of the inner sea. And there are a lot of nations who maybe they don't like dealing with an undead nation to get huge stockpiles of food. But they're not going to say no to huge stockpiles of food at cheap prices. The export guild is responsible for sort of maintaining that uh, that relationship, those those foreign relations. Uh, the reanimators are in turn responsible for animating the dead. There's a couple of laws in Geb that your player characters are going to have to worry about. One of those is that positive energy is illegal to use within the nation. It is it is illegal to cast the heal spell. Don't get caught. Um, one of the others is that if your bo- if you uh, any mortal creature who dies in Geb, their body is turned over to the state for reanimation to be uh, often to be zombies to work on the zombie run farms. Uh, the prob a problem at one of these zombie run farms is is how the zombie feast kicks off the very first adventure of the first adventure path, and the reanimators are responsible for that. Uh, the tax collectors union is the they're the the. Bankers, they've got a lot of the money. They pull a lot of the economic uh, strings. A lot of the old aristocracy in Geb are the tax collectors union. And the sixth of these is the Carter's Consortium. The Carter's Consortium is responsible for internal trade throughout Geb, getting things from one city to another. They used to be pretty powerful, but a few years ago, uh, some people uncovered the fact that all of their leaders were secretly worshippers of Phrasma, god of the dead, and, and foe of undeath. And so this organization got kicked down substantially in influence, but they are doing their best to claw their way back. Uh, so all these are organizations you're going to be balancing your 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 character's reputation with all the way through, from the very beginning of the adventure path all the way through to the very end. Did that give you more time, Ianara? Yes, actually. Uh, okay. <laughs> it, it goes back to that, that first image that we saw of um, Gev being paraded through the streets, where it's all colorful and, you know, lively and and that is very much in contrast to what we expect of, or at least what I personally expect of an undead nation. I think it's uh, it's a great way to distinguish how we're building or how we're um, presenting uh, Geb as the nation in the city compared to what you'd expect of maybe kind of dark and drab and very much, uh, I, I almost want to say very gothic uh, horror kind of theme. Yep. It, this is not the impression I get from this picture at all. Um, and I think that ties into 
what I found while reading through all, all the stuff you've written about Geb and uh, Megatar and the Impossible Lands is that the city and the culture kind of tries to parody living while also being an undead nation. And in that way, they do succeed where it comes off as lively, they have their own culture, uh, the undead are in their own ways, uh, they're people of their own, but then there's kind of this certain traditionalism, this kind of conservative part to it, where it's ruled by these nigh-immortal beings, so old ways are practically clashing with what has been um, new things coming in from millennia or centuries uh, later. It's this um, kind of this confluence of the new and the old that makes it interesting to think of what what's going to happen when these new upstarts in the adventure path try to you know make their way in when there's all these pre-established factions and uh figures and i think that's what uh gms and what players should be looking forward to is when they get into these games is how are they going to maneuver that that social structure of a very uh of uh, almost a city that's kind of I can't. I'm losing the word, which is kind of ironic for an editor. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of almost <laughs> antithetical to itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it's it's yep. trying to be new, but clearly it's stuck being old because everyone is anyone who's in charge is probably not immortal. All right, that's that's what I want to say. Yeah, you can't yeah, we'll just get... wait for their term to expire and elect someone new. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, nah, that's correct. If they never never <laughs> expire, exactly. You know, it, a, a term for life would be really, really short compared to the uh, how long many of these people have had. Some of the people on the, uh, the Blood Lords have been there since Geb was a living person five thousand, six, almost six thousand years ago. Uh, they are not going to give up their their authority easily. Uh, I do want to have the Q and A at the end, but I noticed a couple of questions in the chat that I wanted to get at. One of them: Are we going to get a Holomog Backmatter article? Yes, in the back of Field of Maidens, we get our first big look at what the Celestial Matriarch of Holomog is like. Um, and uh, that was a question from Katune Warlock. Possible Cabbage asked, genuinely hoping that Bloodlords don't ask the party to be true believers, merely pragmatists. Yeah, you're absolutely out for yourselves, right? This is this is not a place where you're being asked to take a bullet for the uh, Ghost King of Geb, like spectral bullet, an ethereal bullet, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> no, you're not. You You are on his side only because it benefits you and your own pursuit of power. That's what a real story about neutral and neutral or neutral evil characters are like. Non-good characters. They're not trying to do it for anybody other than themselves. So I feel like that's, uh, that's a theme that runs all the way through. Um, I, have been, I have been talking quite a lot about the uh, Blood Lords and the Nation of Geb. I love it. I've had a, such a good time developing this adventure path. Uh, but it's not the only adventure path we have in the Impossible Lands, so I want to talk about Outlaws of Alkenstar. So I'll start with Patrick. Give us the rundown of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, right next door to Geb, actually. So, you know, um, these APs kind of uh, take place, in, in, like you said, in the Impossible Lands, right right in that neighborhood. And uh, it, it's kind of intimately tied to the backstory of Geb and Geb's kind of eternal wizard war with Nex, uh, the Mana Wastes is this region caught between the two nations of wizards, and uh, the city of Alkenstar is the basically the only bastion of civilization in this wasteland where magic doesn't work like it should. It's been ruined and just totally, um, you know, terraformed by thousands of years of uh, violent wizard war. So uh, it, it's. Um, it's it's really cool to get to explore this part of our setting because it's a kind of a post magic apocalyptic 
um, kind of uh, area, which definitely speaks to like my own genre interests in post-apocalyptic fiction and stuff like that. And it's also a lot of, um, it's also kind of a lot of like steampunk and kind of uh, diesel punk themes because it, uh, because magic doesn't work in this part of the world like it should, people who live there have had to rely on alternative technologies and uh, and alternative um, you know sciences and stuff like that. So alchemy is a huge thing there. Um, Gunpowder obviously is a huge thing there. This is the part of the world where firearms kind of came into existence. They came out of uh, Dungan Hole, which is a um, uh, sky citadel where uh, all the dwarves came up during the quest for sky 10,000 years ago and these particular dwarves brought with them black powder and so you know, bombs and uh, firearms and you know siege weapons clockworks these are all big parts of Alkenstar and uh, yeah as you can see from the cover image here to the first volume um, it's a natural place where folks like our uh, you know new new inventor iconic from guns and gears and a lot of things from Guns and Gears tie into this book or, you know, augment it. Uh, this is a perfect home for this kind of character. And uh, uh, I forget his, his little goblin buddy's name. It's uh, something funny like Wiz Werber or something. Werp, Werp, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So in this illustration, they are uh, kind of swinging along a rope uh, along the side of a cliff in a district that... Uh, Vanessa Hoskins wrote the volume for uh, this district is called Hellside, and that's because it's near the Hellfallen uh, Cliffs, which is a huge like cliffside part of Alkenstar, and uh, it's along a river. So industrious, you know, um, scavengers and uh, uh, folks who want to start their businesses, you know, just getting started in Alkenstar, they built these ramshackle this shanty town along the side of the cliff uh, so that passing boats, you know, they can, you know, hawk their wares to them from the side of the cliff while these boats pass by. Um, Vanessa, you wrote the, the first volume. Could you uh, tell us a little bit, um, you know, about what that was like and what kind of inspirations you drew from and, you know, what the, what the first volume entails? Absolutely. Uh, so in the first volume, you have been wronged uh, either by Deputy Angelique Loveless, who is a quite corrupt and fairly murderous deputy, uh, and she is in the pocket of a big business mogul, Ambrist uh, Mungland. And the two of them are slowly trying to take control over as much of Alkenstar as they can, because control is power and power is control and, and wealth, you know, uh, is is integral to both um so they're trying to make a bunch of money and uh, and they keep politicians in their pocket and all sorts of things well you've been wronged by them and you you want to get back at them well the first npc that you meet right at the beginning she goes ahead and, and says you know what if you want to be a thorn in his side i've got just the thing and that's where outlaws of alkenstar begins as your I mean, committing crimes, but also committing crimes against terrible people that are like stealing from the populace and <laughs> doing all sorts of horrible, corrupt things. Uh, if the Blood Lords is the not good adventure path, this is the not lawful adventure path, as far as I see it. Um, it's you know, you're you're uh, you might have a, a code all to yourself, but it ain't the law, that's for sure. Uh, and you get to do a lot of real fun things. I, I think this first adventure, Punks in a Powder Keg, uh, is a fast-paced ride through Alkenstar. gives you a lot of flavor of a lot of different parts of the city. Uh, and as you try and, you know, just just stick it to them. Uh, stick it to the powers that be. 
Uh, yep. Oh, yeah. There's our iconic gunslinger uh, shooting some of the clockwork creations. You're going to see a lot of clockwork creations in there. Um, like Patrick was saying, this part of the world, magic is pretty difficult to use. So they've had to rely on technology uh, like clockworks and black powder and such. So you're going to see a lot of that in the adventure path um, and is specifically in punks in a powder keg. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great, uh, yeah, great breakdown. Thank you, Vanessa. Yeah, of, sure. of kind of the plot, which is, um, as as the title of the adventure path might clue you in, you, know, you are outlaws, you're living outside of the law, because you have been either framed, or, you know, you were um, set up or put in, the, you know, just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time by either this corrupt uh, shield marshal, which is the, the, the shield marshals kind of uphold the law, quote unquote, in Alkenstar and You've been you've been wronged or set up, so you need to clear your name. And in order to do that, you have to, of course, you know, uh, root out the corruption among the shield marshals. You know, uh, undo this corrupt mogul who has you know all the power brokers in his pocket, um, and and that takes you throughout the city into some really cool places um, outside the city as well, including uh, some some places we haven't been to uh, in this part of the world yet, like the Spellscar Desert, for one thing. We have a piece of art of that. Um, the, uh, it, it's, it's so cool to get to visit, you know, all around Alkenstar, which is a very weird place, uh, from a lot of like the, um, more, you know, uh, familiar fantasy trappings of say, uh, Absalom or, you know, uh, cities in Taldor and stuff like that, because it's, you know, it's in a desert, it's in a magic wasteland desert, uh, full of grit and, uh, smog and clockworks. And then you go outside the city and it's kind of its own weird wasteland too. One of our big goals with the Spellscar Desert and the mana wastes, uh, in general is just to make it feel like a really weird place where anything can happen because magic isn't working as it's supposed to. And that doesn't mean that magic doesn't work. It means that, uh, you know, when you cast fireball, it might turn into a ball of ice instead or something like that. Um, so you'll visit all sorts of weird locations. Uh, this one uh, is an illustration from uh, Cradle of Quartz, which is a, the name of a uh, uh, one such interesting locale. I won't get into too much detail about that, but um, it's in the Spellscar Desert. And uh, it's, it's definitely a weird place, as you can see, uh, that definitely feels like out of sorts with this kind of desert canyon. You'll also be visiting uh, kind of, you know, familiar quote unquote places uh, that we've mentioned in books before that have appeared in a lot of our canon up till now. And one of those places is, you know, the Gunworks, for instance. So uh, that's on the other side of Alkenstar, you know, from the Spellscar Desert, but that would be the factory where uh, a lot of the guns for, for Alkenstar's shield marshals and for uh, just everyday people. This is where the firearms and cannons and technology is uh, built and invented and um, new innovations are always taking place here. So it's a really cool place for your gunslinger character or your inventor to visit and see what's, you know, uh, popping off with the inventors of the, uh, uh, you know, of the region. And that actually is a great segue to um, kind of the B plot, I would say, of the uh, AP, uh, and maybe you can, uh, uh, is that a good term for Vanessa? It's kind of the, the, um, sure. the pirate, the pyronite. The Pyronite, yeah. Right. So there's this guy, Gattleby, who's created a new type of explosive, which you can imagine gets a lot of people very excited um, and very concerned. Uh, if, if there's new explosives, you know someone's going to weaponize it. They're not just 
you know, breaking apart hills for uh, for transportation and building new roads, they're going to weaponize it. Uh, and so a lot of the first book, and, and I believe the second book as well, I may, maybe the whole thing, I'm not mm -hmm. sure how, yeah, whole thing. Uh, it's kind of the, I want to say red herring, but it, it's more persistent than that, uh, that drives a lot of the action is this race to control and get a hold of the Pyronite formula from Gattleby, the inventor who created it. And he's not... He's not like a vicious guy. He's just a scientist and, and, you know, an alchemist. And he's one of those folks who's like, I, I just want to see if I could do it. And then I did. And now everyone's just going bonkers. Uh, and so because of that, you know, you, you have to work with him and keep him safe, keep the formula safe. Because if it gets out into the wrong hands, which would be Ambrose Muglin's hands, uh, it could cause uh, a lot of hurt for a lot of people, including you. So uh, that's, yeah. that's one of the that's, main things you got to do. That's kind of your... Yeah. Your redemption story, right, is to, you know, yeah, sort of stop to this, you know, th that's how you can clear your name, right, is you got to do something really good for the city in order to yes. um, make sure that you are no longer an outlaw and, and stopping the spread of this destructive uh, power is called Pyronite, uh, you know, is a really good thing to do because um, it's, it's, it's definitely the inventor of it is very much like you said, um, he's the kind of scientist or the kind of uh, inventor who uh, who didn't stop to think if he should before he thought you know could, you know could I or whatever he's like the the Jurassic Park the um you know uh yeah, you were so uh, busy worrying about whether or not you could you didn't stop to think if you should exactly, exactly yeah so so you know that kind of uh is the kind of explosive undertone as it were of the entire AP is you're trying to um wrangle this and and basically stop this kind of ticking time bomb in terms of like when will this secret get out there? What can we do to stop it? What can we do to make sure that it doesn't wind up in our enemy's hands at the very least, mm -hmm. right? So, at the very least, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's what's kind of that was what was really fun about designing this AP too. Is I think uh, that, like you said, it's it's the non lawful AP, right? Um, you kind of you literally it's in there. It's right in the name. You have to live outside the law, so you can have your own personal credo. You know. You obviously maybe reframed or set up, so you're trying to do the right thing, but you can't rely on the people who are trying to throw you in, you know, they're trying to throw you in a dungeon or something like that. You have to live outside of society's rules for a little while, at least until you can clear your names and do right and, uh, uh, or at the very least bring down the people who did you wrong. Um, we've, we've workshopped a number of names for this, uh, adventure path. And, uh, we don't usually, I don't know if we share usually like some of the names we, we spitballed beforehand, but I had a couple like gunmetal grudge, um, you know, uh, uh, I think like wasteland justice, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it was very much like we were trying to hit that, um, your outlaws, you're in it for revenge, the true grit style, uh, old West kind of revenge story. Um, so, I think that's a good way of looking at it. If you're going into this adventure path is like my character's, you know, a grizzled, uh, you know, guy on the guy on the run or guy or gal on the run. And, uh, we want to, we want to get, get rid of our enemies or get revenge at least, you know, how can we do that? And if we happen to do some good deeds on the way, that's just, you know, that's, that's uh, a cherry on top. But, uh, the final uh, image we have to share today, uh, is from another kind of locale that, uh, I invented, um, you know, we invented years ago in the Wardens of the Reborn Forge module, which was our first kind of big length adventure in um, Alkenstar. And that was, uh, I wrote that, I don't know, 10 years ago now, something like that. But uh, one of the places that was described was this um, 
kind of power plant, quote unquote. Uh, it's basically a giant um, factory that harnesses the power of the Ustradi River, which runs through the middle of the city and uh, turns it into electricity and, um, you know, uh, uh, heat and other basic utilities, uh, things that are almost unheard of in every part of the world. But in Alkenstar, you know, it's if there, if you can strap a gear to it, then uh, people have done it already in Alkenstar. So they, it was only natural that they did that with the power plant. and. Um, as you can see on the cover illustration here, uh, you you make your way there, but you're not the uh, only humanoid shaped uh, creatures, at least, who have uh, done so. So uh, it's, yeah, an action packed uh, campaign. I think people are going to really enjoy it, especially if you like urban intrigue and uh, just explosive hijinks and high octane uh, kind of action. I think it's a really cool uh, way to experience that in Pathfinder. Absolutely. And I would. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, there are some um, really fun encounters and things, uh, creatures with really unique and interesting abilities. And I, I definitely think this is uh, this is one to remember. Like this, this whole adventure path, honestly, looking at all the things that, uh, you know, Scott and the other author did, like all the authors have really just, and not, not just me, um, and, and really Patrick has been obviously the conductor of this whole thing as a developer, uh, given us an opportunity to really explore Pathfinder and explore adventures in a way that I don't know that Paizo ever really has, not, at least not since Wardens of the Reborn Forge, which has been a while. And so I think this is a really unique and interesting uh, game to, to get to play. And I would highly recommend it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the and the team uh, yourself and and the other two folks who wrote uh, these volumes, you know, did an awesome job. I think it's great. Just to give a rundown of the volumes, they're they're all on the Paizo.com website if you want to check them out. But uh, uh, Vanessa Hoskins wrote the first volume, which is called Punks in a Powder Keg. Uh, Scott D. Young wrote the second volume, which is called Cradle of Quartz, and uh, Cole Cronwitter wrote the third third volume, which is called The Smoking Gun. Um, so those all turned out really great. And I think the, the, the titles of the, the APs kind of tell you everything you need to know too. It's, uh, it's, it's you, you go from the, the powder keg to the cradle to the smoking gun. I don't know. That tells you nothing, I guess, but they sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> they do sound we cool. <laughs> I remember that. I remember when Gunmetal Grudge was the, the title mm -hmm. of the AP that was going around. And I thought that was kind of the one I was putting my vote behind. I thought mm -hmm. that I said quite a lot about the thing. It is typical, mm -hmm. though. I don't know if a lot of people know this. The it is very typical for how do adventure paths get their names uh, oh, yeah. accidentally a lot of the time. It, it mm -hmm. is it is sort of Paizo tradition that it's easy to come up with the names of the individual adventures in the adventure path, but then when we're sort of like, what are we going to call the whole thing? It it is most common that one of the six cool names for the adventures or three cool names for the adventure. Somebody's like, that's good enough. It should be the name for the entire adventure path, and mm -hmm. so the name gets stolen up or something like uh, like that. Yeah, it, it's either that or uh, you come up with a code name kind of that like just you're like, right. oh, this Working is the title. basic description. Yeah, and I'm like, Outlaws of Alkenstar, that's pretty good. You know, that describes what's going on. And it's like, yeah, that's great. Let's go with that. So. <laughs> uh, Bloodlords was very much the same too. It's like, well, it's the one mm -hmm. where you get to become Bloodlords and stuff. What are we going to call it? Um, I think I'm done there. It's mm -hmm. Bloodlords, right? <laughs> uh, but we did. We have all the way through one of the things that I really love about the names of uh, a lot of the Bloodworms is they're just they're they're all food related in a gruesome undead way, right? You know, zombie feast, the ghouls hunger. I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, you know un unnatural appetites <laughs> that are uh, that are. That's great. I um, didn't catch that, but you were describing it's kind of the breadbasket of the region. I mean, yeah, in more ways than one. Yeah, nope. <laughs> bloody sommelier. <Absolutely> <laughs> 
<laughs> we are uh, we're going to do a Q&A. I want to keep an eye. If you've got questions, go ahead and put them in the chat. Uh, and I'll keep an eye on that to, to ask of our folks. One thing I did want to talk about when we've, what both of us have, both, all of us have been talking about the, the differences from a standard sort of sword and sorcery type of fantasy story that these adventure paths are trying to sell. That's pretty, they're pretty consistent in the impossible lands. The impossible lands is by its nature, sort of a place where a lot of really weird things can happen and a lot of really innovative stories can happen. I do want to give uh, some some props to Patrick in putting together the player's guide, the free player's guide for Outlaws of Alkenstar. Uh, one of his innovations was to put a chart in there that just sort of shows, all right, of the different alignments and the different character classes and the different ancestries you can play, which ones are strongly recommended for this adventure path, which ones are will work, which ones are probably not great for the adventure path. Um, and then not only does that really help you focus on, oh, if I want to really lean into the story, what is this, the best example of, best combination of an alignment, a class, a, an ancestry, some skills that I can use. But a lot of players are also the ones who like to play a little bit against type. So they're the ones who are like, all right, well, I'm going into this sort of this gunslinger story. What's my, what do, what can I play that's a little bit against type, but isn't going to be Paladin. just so, so, so off that I just don't want to play, you know, and what's mm -hmm. not, not recommended, but what's maybe you know, will kind of work and let me be, let me be that kind of person. Um, so I really thought that that chart was a great idea. And I think people are going to love being able to use it as a guide. Um, and then I took that and put one in the Bloodlords player guide to talk about sort of what it is you might be able to play. And then some of the things I was able to lean into that point to Book of the Dead, there's a whole skeleton ancestry in there. Start from level one as your ancestry, your skeleton. Um, that's, appropriate for this adventure path mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you can go there um and yeah. i think inara you did you did some oh let me let you finish on on top of that patrick oh i was just gonna say yeah with the players guides you know uh we try to balance uh being you know you want to leave it open-ended of course you want to let players play like whatever you want like you're saying a lot of people like to play against type and i think kind of listing these specific recommendations which i think we're going to do going forward more with these players guides is just a way of uh you know, saying, yeah, you can play whatever you want for sure. Um, animal handling, just not going to come up a lot in this AP though. You know, it's like you can play against type, you know, there's such a thing as against type. And then there's such a thing as uh, making your GM have to introduce animals because there aren't that many animals in the big city, you know? Um, and it's like, if you, if you know crafting, that's going to be a lot more useful. So it's really helpful, I think, to just chart it out and just tell folks from the get go, you know, these are things, these are the checks that are going to come up a lot. These are, you're not going to get a lot of use out of a big mount though, you know, so maybe don't invest in your, your mounted combat too much if you're living in the middle of a city uh, like this one. Yeah. We just had an adventure path that was all about big exactly. mounts and, and outdoor, exactly. you know, animal ha handling animals and outdoor oh, survival. Yeah. I got oh. Whiplash doing uh, Quest for the Foes and Flame and then uh, Outlaws of Alkenstar. Yeah, it was totally different. <laughs> so people on the message boards are like, wow, these are totally different APs. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. Um, you know, being in these two <laughs> mindsets at once. It's It was fun. It was awesome. You know, I, I was like, what's a clockwork mammoth look like? Uh, I don't know where that would go. Um, <laughs> you know. Oh, that is cool. No, I want to see clockwork awesome. mammoth. Yeah, yeah. Bring them, bring <laughs> them both together. Yeah. <laughs> do you find uh, do you find that switching themes between developing one type of adventure path and another, like you said, is is all that whiplash and it's hard to get into the groove of the new one, or do you find it refreshing to oh, I love it. something from a new perspective? 
I love it. Yeah, I love to. Um, I just love to learn like new things. I, I have a, a pretty short attention span when it comes to like <laughs> hobbies and interests. You know, uh, I went through like a birding phase a couple of years ago, and like uh, you know, photography and stuff. But I haven't got out that stuff in a while because I'm, I'm now I'm interested in like uh, Neolithic history and like uh, you know the things in these adventure paths, like the history of dynamite and stuff like that. Um, it's it's just cool to I don't know I draw a lot of inspiration from the real world and history and nonfiction and so it's always fun to get to hone in on very specific aspects of real world history and and emphasize those and view those through the lens of our game which the the Pathfinder setting is so cool because it has so many different areas kind of for, for every type of genre every type of game you want to play you know you can either play a mammoth lord in the high north or you can play in the desert and uh you know be a gunslinger there's it, it's in the same world and that's so cool right now yeah yeah i thought that you had done more of the editing for outlaws of alkenstar than the blood lords have some some connection there what what did you love about uh the touch the touch that you've done with outlaws of alkenstar honest i i really like how um it was mentioned where you have those uh, charts that those tables is tell you what kind of character you should play, what kind of character you might might not want to play. Um, and the aspect was that it becomes very personal um, because it's like it's a grudge against you and it's how you kind of carve your way into a city that's otherwise, I think, very volatile despite images that it has its own. It, it's very kind of put, uh, gosh, what's it? It's a very well put together setting. Uh, nation city because you know technology its structures you have these different named districts that has its own kind of cultures and uh descriptors to it but then when you boil it down to the people and the characters that are in it it's you can't just you know you can't just put a blanket on them there's going to be these just this wide variety of who is there but at the same time they're also limited by the fact oh there's not really magic here you have to make way on your own using what technologies you have and then having that kind of, in a way, restrict, it is technically a restriction for the adventure path. But I also think that when you put that type of restriction, it really opens it up to let people get creative with who they bring in to, you know, fix this vendetta and deal with the B-plot. Because I think, even though it's called the B-plot with the Pyronite, I think it's very, um, I, I don't want, gosh, it's almost quintessential to the idea that one, invention can really just set things off. I guess that's the powder keg part. Um, that volatile part of the city-state is that all it takes is one great invention or, if in fact, one person or maybe a group of persons to really shake things up. And that quality in that is, um, it stuck out to me particularly. Sweet. Sweet. Thank you very much. We do have a couple of questions. One of them just follows up uh, very nicely on that uh, for you, uh, Patrick. Recall Knowledge says, I was surprised there's no in-game lore reason given for the removal of the anti-magic field in Alkenstar. This expanded mm. on the Impossible Lands book. Do you have an explanation for why magic works normally in Alkenstar? And I think normally is probably ought to go in quotes there, but... Yeah, it, it, it functions, right? And I think that did surprise a lot of people because in ye old times, uh, we described the mana waste as, you know, don't bring your magic here. You know, magic won't save you. Uh, you better just not bother but the there there's uh yeah there's no in-game ex 
explanation. I mean, we could have maybe wedged one in there, but because the practical reason is that uh, like over half of the classes in Pathfinder have access to magic of some sort. And um, it's there's one thing to be said for like, oh, directing your character in an interesting way. Um, yeah, and a gunslinger and ventures, those work great here. But it's another thing to say, um, oh yeah, sorcerer, wizard, witch, you can't play any of that. That's not going to work here. Um, that, I turns um, it would just turn a lot of I think players off or just like it, it makes it less interesting right so one thing with writing and one thing with GMing that I try to do is you know don't introduce um, uh, uh, contradictions right with interesting characters when you're trying to make a compelling arc or character you, you know you don't say oh this is the evil uh, you know this this evildoer um, has a collection of you know stuffed Medusa you know stuffed like Medusa dolls or something like that. That's a weird contradiction because uh, this character is like really evil, but they have like this really cutesy thing. Um, that's like a contradiction. But what you do is like a complication or something, right? So I try and emphasize complications rather than contradictions, or rather than rather than saying no, say yes and. Um, so yes, you can use magic in the Mana Waste uh, and Alkenstar, but. Uh, and this is in the player's guide, you know, be prepared for certain instances where it may not work as intended. And I think that will create really exciting moments at the table. I think people who want to play sorcerers and wizards, you definitely should, because uh, you're definitely going to have some memorable moments when the, the fireball spell causes, you know, a bunch of lightning to come out of the floor or something and manifest the snakes, you know, crazy stuff like that. Um, that can all happen in the mana waste. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a great... The other thing I wanted to point out about really quick is that if you are running the game and you want to be like a lore purist and decide that on your table magic doesn't work in Elkenstar, uh, you can do that. Like it's it's possible to run a game. Just be upfront with mm -hmm. your players before you start, like in a session zero, and say this is what I would like to do, and then everyone can play. You know, fighters, rogues, and uh, uh, inventors, gunslingers. You know, uh, uh, investigators actually might be pretty cool. So they can mm -hmm. pick those non-magical classes if that's the kind of game you want to run. But I think. Uh, you just need to be really clear with your players. And, and it's entirely possible. I can't speak for the other uh, two authors, but Patrick, maybe you can help me out with this. I know for Punks in a Powder Keg, I definitely wrote it with the idea that someone might be playing it using those restrictive rules, saying, mm -hmm. you know, magic is just not going to work in most of the city. And uh, trying to make it so that the, uh, the NPCs, at least for the most part, followed those same restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the in-game, you know, the in-lore in kind of logic is that Alkenstar doesn't attract a lot of magic users because why would, you know, why would I go there if I my, my whole life is dedicated to magic and magic doesn't work like it should? You know, I, I got better places to be. I can go to any of these other cool nations that do magic. Um, it attracts people who are who want to escape from magic users. It attracts people who maybe got on the wrong side of Geb, you know, or someone like Geb, and want to go hide in the desert where uh, you know divination spells might not work very reliably. Um, so the in-game reason that you know magic isn't popular there and it doesn't work the way it should is because people don't study magic there. They're, they're pretty. There are few people who study magic there, right? And so the, the knowledge of magic and its practitioners are just so much less that it's just a less reliable and less common thing than in nations like Gab or Nex or elsewhere in the world. That makes a lot of sense to me. One of the other questions, Possible Cabbage says, I'd like adventure paths set in Nex and Jalmeray. We spent a lot of time in Cheliax and Brizia and 1E. Did three straight adventure paths on the Isle of Cortos in second edition. 
and I hope for a similar stay in the impossible lands. We have we have nothing to announce uh, other than about next or Jalmeray. Uh, we do think that the region has a lot of potential, uh, so it doesn't seem like something we'd stay away from for uh, for very long. Uh, but our the next uh, next couple of adventure paths we have out, and I'm not sure whether we have given a lot of details about them, but don't expect to be in next or Jalmeray soon after Bloodlords. Um, but we can't say never for any of these things. We've got, all of us have a ton of ideas for where we'd like to put things and, and, and set things. Um, never say never. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, any piece of upcoming back matter you're particularly excited about? That's kind of a good question from Sadar. Patrick, what do you think for Outlaws of Alcastar? I think uh, upcoming, uh, let's see. I think the Punks and Powder Keg had a great back matter piece. It was a, um, and that's already out, but it's a, uh, it's a gazetteer on the saloon, which is kind of your headquarters while you're working for this mysterious patron um, as an outlaw. You kind of hide out in the saloon, which has all these colorful characters and, uh, you know, cool like workshop to, you know, do some downtime, work on your, you know, tinker with your inventions and stuff like that. Um, it, it, there was a whole we dedicated a whole you know back matter article to just this one building and just the proprietors and the, the people who were uh you know low you know regulars at this saloon and it's just such a cool um it was so cool to be able to dive in depth in a whole just a building rather than even like a, a nation or a city or anything like that you those are cool because you get like snapshots of different locales but with this you know it's you really got to know the characters and develop you know the history of this building which can be just as rich as the history of a whole nation you know in a city that's as old as alcanstar i really like for myself for bloodlords i really like the deity articles we do which really dig into a real close focus on one particular deity, what their worshipers are like some extra little rules crunch for people that follow those and it's probably not a surprise that one of the deity articles in Bloodlords is for Kabriri, the demon lord of ghouls, uh, who is, they say, the first ghoul that uh, that ever existed. Uh, some of the background there. But one of the other, perhaps more surprising uh, back matter or deity articles that we have is for Narakas, the cleansing sentence, who's one of the psychopomp ushers, one of the followers of, uh, you know, the, the shepherds of the land of the dead. Uh, Narakas is really fascinating because a psychopomp usher is about mending broken things, right? Whether and and if you're a psychopomp usher, a lot of those things are souls. So if soul comes to you broken, it needs to be fixed. They're one of the uh, a deity that sees a beauty in things that are repaired with care and patience. Uh, that's not the kind of thing that you might expect in the Bloodlord's Adventure Path, but it led, digging into that lets us put a lot more thought into maybe some of the people your characters are going up against or some of the people you might have to, to, to try to forge an unlikely alliance with. And, and I really think that those back matter articles are things I'm excited about. Yeah. Can I mention um, we, a couple I'm excited about in punks? Yeah, absolutely. So we're up against the clock, so I'll go fast. Uh, I wrote the best diary for that. And there are two sections I think will be really fun. Uh, one is the section on clockworks. There's several new clockworks in there that help fill out some of the levels that we're missing. So if you are the kind of wizard who thinks it's really cool to summon clockworks or, you know, other spellcaster, uh, you have a lot more options now. So I am hoping that people uh, get to sink their teeth into clockworks because they're cool. Uh, the other one that I'm really happy about is the Prairie Drake. Um, it's designed essentially 
immediately after a prairie dog, which uh, is a real life creature that is very important to its environment. Uh, it burrows under holes and loosens topsoil and basically helps a lot of other species survive. But as a drake, it is evil and it hates that it's helpful. No, it is the master of its domain. Uh, <laughs> the other thing... <laughs> It's a cousin of the sand drake, and just like sand drakes, it likes to spit balls of dirt at you. Uh, but the prairie drake's balls of dirt are like very, very nutrient rich. Um, so it creates what they call prairie soil, and like farmers and such love it. They're like, no, no, you want to get that for the vegetable gardens and such. And the prairie drake is just really mad about it. Um, and I think they're sort of lovably little cute monsters, <laughs> like ugly cute. And I just. I'm so delighted by them, and thank you, Patrick, for letting me write those into that adventure, because, oh boy, Prairie Drakes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah, there's a lot of fun creatures in your volume, especially, and in, in all the volumes, because <laughs> it's such a weird part of the world. There's clockworks yeah. and mutants and giants, and yeah, all sorts of cool stuff. Really go nuts. That's great. Well, we are, uh, as Vanessa said, running right out of time. If you've got any more questions, anybody, please head over to the uh, uh, Paizo Events Discord. We've got one of the channels that's specifically Adventure Paths in the Impossible Lands. Uh, and some of us will be hanging out there in order to answer questions. Uh, what I, I want to give everybody a chance to go through and point out uh, where people can find you if they want to know more. I'll go and start with myself. We'll move across. Uh, I am, uh, I blog a lot for uh, freelancers and other uh, sort of RPG writers, advice, guidance, uh, suggestions, observations I've made. Uh, that's all on my blog section at my website, Run Amok Games, R-U-N-M-A-O-K, Games. Uh, uh, the, at Twitter, I'm at, at RPG Ron Lending. Hi, I'm Vanessa Hoskins. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter is the best and most public place to reach me at Ninja Cat Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A. I've been Patrick Greeny, and uh, if you if you want to chat about uh, inspirations or your game or tell me about your character, you know, feel free to shoot me an email at uh, patrick.greeny at paizo.com. I'd love to love to read emails from fans and players, and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. And I'm Ian Arnatividad. I have a Twitter. It's over there. I occasionally tweet, but I'll I'll see more about that. <laughs> Tweeting more Pyzo stuff, because we have a lot of great stuff uh, coming out, and it's worth looking at. Thank you. All right, well, thanks very much, everybody, and enjoy the rest, a little bit of rest of the con. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.